0: Welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. I'm your host, Liz Reitzig, and I have with me today, Kimber Brenneman. And remember, Nourishing Liberty is all about our food systems and how we fit into them. And Kimber, besides being an amazing friend, is also an amazing food scientist. I am gonna turn it over to Kimber and she can give you a little bit of background on her.
1: Thanks, Liz so fun to have these conversations with you. Um, even better that other people can um, listen in. Uh, yeah, my, my undergrad was in biological and food process engineering. So I had a degree in how to make um, processed foods, like, you know, the equipment that's used in a food processing plant, that kind of thing. Um, I no longer do that. I've I don't even eat those foods anymore. But um, it was an interesting start. And I I still love science and food. I just like my food not made on a huge scale like that anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and one of the things that fascinates fascinates me so much about you is the depth of conversation we get into about our food mm. systems and about how how food is produced. But you really didn't stop there, right? You went on to study more about food and learn more about the chemistry involved. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Oh, uh, well, I continued um, my education with a PhD in bioengineering. Um, and that, uh, that was more working on like sensor detection. Um, so maybe having a sensor to determine what's in a sample. It could be a food sample. Um, one project I worked on was measuring ATP in meat because um, it goes down once the animal dies, it like decreases in concentration. So it's a measure of like how fresh something is or the quality of it. So like, measuring different um, substrates in a sample, uh, whatever it is. And now, i don't really care about making devices like that but i do care about that um that data like i like to know blood work and like what's the concentration of you know this in um in your food in your blood what's the quality
0: yes so important and you are one smart lady (laughs) and i love that i love our conversations because we can just get into the nitty-gritty the details of the science And that is one thing we are going to do today. We are going to talk about seed oils. So to get started though, Kimber, can you define for us, for the purposes of this conversation, what are seed oils? Yeah.
1: Seed oils, I think more specifically, would be to call them industrial seed oils. Um, It's uh, an oil that's been extracted from a seed like soy, corn, um, and you if you ever took like a, a piece of corn, a corn kernel, you can't squeeze it and have oil come out. It takes a lot more intense processing to extract the oil from a seed like corn or soy or sunflower um, or cotton seeds. Uh, and that usually involves high temperatures, which is really damaging to the oils. And it also involves using solvents. Um, that, so a solvent would be something that the oil can dissolve in. So it's not going to be water because oil doesn't dissolve in water. Um, it's going to be something like, it won't be another oil. Um, it might be something like, um, like, like nail polish remover dissolves things that aren't you know oil or, or water. Um, something like hexane or benzene, stuff like that um just like nail polish remover dissolves nail polish they need something that will dissolve the oil but then they can separate it later anyway the the processing is really harsh and the oil that is in seeds is very delicate um before i get off on another track let me just go back to like defining the seed oils and the ones that you're going to actually be you're going to actually find on a label in a packaged food and the most prevalent ones are soybean oil and canola oil. They're everywhere. They're in all packaged foods, like everything. Um, once you become aware of this and you start looking, it will feel impossible to not eat them if that's what you want to do. I mean they're just, they're, they're very cheap. They're very cheaply made. So to, to make a food product cheaper, you want, you use the cheaper ingredients. And as a food processing company, the cheaper the food, the more profit you make. And um, when, when, I, when I interned, that was like one entire division was making the product cheaper to make. You had the other division that made new products um, that did R&D, but making the products cheaper is a huge um, important piece of a food processing company because that's how they increase their profits. Um, and that's why you find soybeanola, canola oil in so many foods, all dressings, almost. Almost every single salad dressing will largely be soybean oil or canola oil. Um, Other ones that you may also find are safflower oil, sunflower oil, cottonseed oil, and um, rice bran and grape seed oil. You won't find as much, but they're used in restaurants, I think.
0: Okay, so quick question on I guess this would get into a little bit of the labeling tract. so that's what seed oils are. Now, vegetable oils versus seed oils. How does one look at a label and know, because peanut oil, you didn't say anything about peanut oil and peanuts are not seeds, they are legumes, mm-hmm. right? So peanut oil is not in the same category and neither is olive oil because olive oil comes from the fruit, not yep. the seed of the olive. So, but, but I think that if I'm right, peanut oil, olive oil, and maybe even avocado oil would all be under the larger umbrella of vegetable oil. I would call they're from a fruit. Okay, all, but not peanut oil, right? Right. So when it says so, vegetable
1: oil on an ingredient label, it'll say in parentheses which ones. Because vegetable oil is a real like vague generic term.
0: Okay, so so seed oils is a much more specific term. So anybody who sees vegetable oil on the label, look further, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, they they can't just put vegetable oil. That's too nonspecific. It would say in parentheses, I believe, I I don't know the regulation, but specifically, but um, it would have to say that it usually it'll say it could be either
0: soybean, canola, whatever. Okay. Okay, great. Great. That's a good distinction. Um, Now, Kimber, I want to get into, now that we know what seed oils are, like how did these seed oils, how did they become part of our modern American diet? How did they become part of our food system? And you know, one of my one of my favorite conversations that we've had—we were talking around a table with other people, you and I—and the topic of um, vegetable oil or, or seed oils came up, and we were like finishing each other's sentences <laughs> as we told the story, the history of. Uh, of seed oils and and Crisco. So I want you to tell it, but go ahead and and tell that story. How did we get these industrialized seed oils? How did they start? Why are they a part of our lives now? Um, The short version is waste product.
1: (laughs) Um, To elaborate, um, the cotton industry had uh, the seeds left over. The seeds would have to be removed in order to make cotton products, cotton clothes and they could extract oil from the cotton seeds. And that oil would be used to make candles or as like a lubricant for machinery. And then electricity came on the scene and the candle industry took a big hit. And it was like, what are we gonna do with all this oil, all these seeds? And I don't know how they came up with it, but they were, they hydrogenated the oil And that caused it to be solid at room temperature. If you add hydrogen gas to an oil, it becomes saturated with hydrogen. And that is what a saturated fat is. And so they turned an oil, which is liquid at room temperature, into a solid, a fat at room temperature. And it looked like lard. It looked a lot like the lard that people would cook with, but man, was it cheaper. So they marketed the heck out of that as this better alternative. It's cleaner, it's whiter, which just means it's devoid of fat-soluble vitamins. Um, But they marketed, you know, white as clean and it was like easier to deal with. I, I don't know, but it became, you know, shortening instead of lard, started to replace it. And I remember a can of it in our cabinet when I was a kid, didn't know anything about it. Um, but yeah, they it became a replacement for lard.
0: Yeah, one of the details that I remember about that story as well is, is how, because it was not lard, it was marketed to the Jewish housewives uh-huh. as something that they could use. Because of course, uh-huh. you know, at the time many Jews kept Strictly kosher and did not mm-hmm. have any pork products, and so yeah. for them to be able to have this thing that was just like lard that acted just like lard but wasn't lard, you know, uh, opened up another line of cooking and baking to them. And you know, I remember too, not in my home, but in my in my grandparents' home. You know, Crisco was a thing; it was like part of it's part of households. It was part of cooking. But now, of course, we know a little bit more about it, <laughs> and we. Know- so expanding on not just crisco but what do we know about seed oils in general? And for for many years I remember the propaganda seed oils vegetable oils are so much better for you than animal fats.
1: So <laughs> right calling it vegetable Why are you laughing at that? Right because vegetables are healthy. But where's the broccoli oil? You know, these are yeah it's not it
0: makes it sound healthy. It does. Yeah, I mean, it's very deceptive, right. But what do we know about these now not just I mean, what you were saying about Crisco and the um, that's, that's, of course, cottonseed oil, right. And yeah. so that's the one that got partially hydrogenated, yep. but not all of them are partially hydrogenated we know I mean now we know from lots of good science, and scientists who are willing to take risks. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that, that that trans fat and that the process of creating that trans fat creates something that's not healthy for us. Right, but not yeah, everyone all agrees trans fats aren't good. Right, but not all seed oils are trans fats, right? So what do we know about seed oils in general and why they're, besides everything you've already said about the industrialization of them, but what else? I mean, what else do we know about why they're not good for our bodies to consume? Well, when
1: uh, you have an oil in a seed, it's packaged very tightly with antioxidants like vitamin E. And the reason it's also in a shell and protected from the air, because the type of fats that are found in seeds are very delicate. They're called polyunsaturated fatty acids or PUFAs for short, and they break down very easily. They become oxidized very easily because they have um, double bonds that are less stable. And because they get extracted from the seed and are so prone to this breakdown process called oxidation and the heat they're exposed to in processing, they, they're oxidized fats. And those can wreak havoc in, in your body because once you have one, it reacts with others And you get other breakdown products and um, they're not bad when they're not oxidized. So like we do need certain PUFAs like omega-3 fatty acids are a polyunsaturated fatty acids and so are omega-6 and we need some, we need both of them. However, most seed oils have way too much omega-6 in them. Um, you'll find high oleic sunflower oil where they have increased the omega-3 content. And uh, canola oil is actually fairly high in omega-3s, um, but largely you're getting way more omega-6s than you need. You, there should be like a balance. Like we do need some inflammation where the omega-6s are pro-inflammation and the omega-3s are anti-inflammatory. And we do need to have inflammation. It's not that you would eliminate it completely. Um, it's a p- process that is required in our bodies. Um, but it becomes way too much. And the fact that like, it's so prevalent in our food system that some people I've heard estimates of like 60 to 80% of people's fat calories are from seed oils. I mean, that oh, is wow. way more than wow. when you think about packaged foods, um, All the, all the oils used in restaurants, it's just really, it would be way too expensive for them to use something like tallow or coconut oil. Um, These are, they're just, these are just so cheap. Um, And because they're delicate, they break down in some pretty nasty end products too. If they didn't deodorize them, they would probably stink.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I've read about seed oils too. So let me see if I'm getting this right if I eat a handful of sunflower seeds, that's fine, right? Yeah. Corn yeah. On the it's top, protected. Either corn on the cob or I get cornmeal someplace and I make cornbread, that's fine, right? If I eat yeah. walnuts or almonds or um, what else are like hazelnuts, that's all fine, right? Because I'm yeah. eating them as the whole food, But once we start talking about, first of all, nobody is ever going to go out and eat a cotton seed, right? (laughs) Like, we just don't do that. It's not food to start with, nor are we going to go eat canola, right? The the rapeseed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's that whole name thing with canola and rapeseed, but we're not just going to go eat that either. Mm -mm. Right. And I'm probably not going to eat very many if I eat soybeans. I'm not gonna eat very many at a time, not enough to get the levels of, of oil that are that can be harmful. So, so we're looking at like taking a food that's designed to be a whole food. Mm-hmm. And when we eat it as a whole food is designed to be healthy, like walnuts or sunflowers mm-hmm. or something like that designed to be healthy. And then we're talking about our industrial food system has taken other foods that are not even designed to be foods and extracted the oils, sent them through a heavy industrialization Process and then package them up all pretty and sell them back to us as though they are supposed to be healthy. Is mm. that right? Am I getting
1: that right? Yeah, that these a lot of these oils are toted as heart healthy because they're so low in saturated fat.
0: Well, I think the saturated fat conversation is a whole other topic, right? But that's very deceptive, right? That these seed oils are uh, labeled as, as yeah, like you said, like heart healthy and they're, they go through this extreme, if I may say so extraction process, Mm -hmm. it's like divorcing the product from the, uh, what's a good analogy, the case it comes in, right. Like a walnut or a sunflower seed or a, yeah, anything, anything whole. Yeah. Yeah. And instead we're fed this story that somehow these Industrialized, extracted oils that come from things we don't eat anyway are somehow healthy for us. Mm-hmm. So I think I think you might have an opinion on this.. <laughs> <laughs> on, on what thing? How much seed oil, how much extracted seed oil should we be getting in our diets on a regular basis? I mean, I pretty much avoid
1: them. Obviously, they're going to sneak in. I don't, if I'm, if I'm going to a restaurant, I'm not going to like ask for anything particularly special, but I am mostly at home. I, I have grapeseed oil in order to season my cast iron, not to eat.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, I think the, um the, the wisdom here is to not eat industrialized seed oils. They can, be more harm than good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it's very difficult to avoid. I just, I try to avoid them. If something sneaks by, it's fine, but I eat the foods. I eat sunflower seeds. I might eat yeah. some
0: edamame. Um, I'll eat corn. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that's important to me about these products, as you know, is that these, these four that, that you've talked about as the most prevalent are also the ones that I talk about as the most prevalently GMO. So we've got Mm. corn, cotton, canola, and soy. Ah. And those are the four most heavily GMO crops. And so GMO of course stands for genetically modified organism. And the, the genetic modification is one component of it. That's another level of science we're not going to get into today. But one of the one of the problematic components of GMO crops is the amount of organophosphates on them. So many of the crops that are GMO are in order for the farmers to be able to spray them more heavily and the crop won't die while the weeds around it die. Mm -hmm. Which means that those are the crops that are getting the most of that of those harmful chemicals and that is an issue on several levels and i think the one you can speak to is the human health component but we also have that issue being an environmental factor mm-hmm. it's going into the air it's harming people in that way it's getting onto other farmers crops and then it's also a soil, soil factor which overlaps with environmental, but I want to treat it as two different things. So this industrialization process of seed oils has created so many layers and levels of harm to the environment, to our farming culture and communities and then also, and absolutely importantly to our individual human health. So one of the things I've learned, and maybe you can explain this or elaborate on it a little more, is that uh, toxins, environmental toxins, uh, collect in fat. Do you are you aware of this? Um, the components Depends of on that?
1: the toxin glyphosate, for example, is water soluble.
0: So how does that translate to to things that we need to look at or be aware of or be cautious of?
1: Well, so glyphosate's Everywhere it's in the water system because it's water soluble, you can't stop it from just
0: going wherever the water goes. So, does that mean it's not as heavily in the oils? I don't know. Okay,
1: that's a good question for us to explore. Interesting to look into. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Um might also depend on like what solvents are used and stuff. Yeah, that would be something to look into. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I I know that there have been so many claims by the the food manufacturers in the industry that there's no uh, no components of the genetic modification left in these industrial foods, and you know, first of all, I always question that because any any industry that's going to give us these oils. I just question where their where their ethics are in terms of what is harmful to us or what is not, and then you know I I don't have the science background to fully explore that. So I've always wondered what is the actual remaining component of genetically modified material in those heavily processed oils, but also the other components of the processed foods. When you That's say a question that, for later. Okay. Yeah. 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 I don't expect us to answer that here, but it's something, I mean, it's just a curiosity I've always had. It's like they make one claim. I, you know, I don't know. It's hard to understand because obviously, and of course these levels of science are, um, are, are fringe, right? Not very many people can really fully Grasp how to do genetic modification, what it all means, and how it what are the consequences, what are the end results. But we do know, broad picture, the application of GMOs has caused environmental havoc and has caused a decline in human health. We do know this from broad strokes observation. We can speak to that pretty clearly. So, um, you touched on the omega 3, omega 6 balance that we need. Can you speak a little bit more about the importance of that balance? What, what, is, what should we look at? What should we look for? Like if I'm, um, if I'm making not just a meal, but I'm, I'm in charge of feeding my family, right? And so if, if we're in charge of feeding ourselves or our family, what should we be looking for in terms of how does that label translate to what might be human health for the individual? like the, the label saying how much omega-3 or how much omega-6 something has in it?
1: Um, I don't know that it, I mean, it's not like part of an ingredient label. It tells you how much fat, how much saturated fat, and it gives you the ingredients. But I mean, like what ingredients are providing omega-3 versus omega-6?
0: Or, Or if I'm looking at, Do I want to like a fish, fatty fish is known to be high in omega-3s, right? Yeah. So if I'm looking at, okay, I want to have, what kind of balance do I want to have on a day-to-day basis or week-to-week? And how does that translate to what foods I'm looking for?
1: Well, if I think um, when you look more like evolutionarily before there were processed foods, just eating whole foods there was a ratio somewhere like kind of guessing like in the, like the one to three, one to one, like it's it's like a lot more, they're probably more omega-6, but not a huge. Now with our processed food, it's like one to 20 is like what you might find in a food supply or what someone might have in their diet when they're eating like a standard American diet.
0: You mean one part, right now, the standard American diet is one part omega-3 to 20 so part like omega-6? 20,
1: 30 parts omega-6.
0: Okay. And Whereas that's
1: historically balance. it might've been something like one to one, one to three, one to five, like it just in, in foods, like in whole foods.
0: Okay. So, so speaking kind of biologically, evolutionarily, we want to, we want to try to find a balance in our own diets. That's more of a Uh, increase in omega-3s and a decrease in omega-6s because they seem to be, the omega-6s seem to be everywhere.
1: Yeah, because of the seed oils,
0: pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you would never have
1: that much corn that you could consume in in oil.
0: Right, yeah, I mean, such a good point. That is such a good point that we just can't, right? Yeah. So- I mean, wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's important. I think you just hit a nail on a head because that's really important to remember that if it's, if there's a food that you, that has omega, like a high ratio of omega six, right. We just wouldn't be able to eat enough of it for that to be harmful. If we were sticking to the whole food. Mm -hmm. Now, can you share, like, I I, am asking this question. I really have no idea. And I feel like I should know the answer to this already. What how does it go with a ratio of like three to six? So three is the one we don't get enough of typically. So how does it look when you're talking about animal products versus, uh, non-animal products? So I want to include the olive oils, the coconut oils. How does that break down? Like if I, if I'm going to eat plenty of fatty meats and eggs, am I going to get omega-3s in those foods? Plenty of omega-3s in those foods
1: there are some omega-3s in like, you know, in grass-fed beef. But um, so all fat sources are usually a mix of polyunsaturated fatty acids, monounsaturated fatty acids, which we haven't talked about at all, and saturated fatty acids. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of fats. Like when you talk about fat, there's not just one fat. They have, there's a big range from Uh, short chain, medium chain. A lot of people have heard of medium chain triglycerides. That's a few different types of fats. um, And then there's long chain fatty acids. So um, whether it's plant or animal, there is a mixture of all of them typically, but in animals, it's mostly saturated. And then usually, but then you have coconut oil that is like ninety six percent saturated fat, um, you know things that grow in the trop in tropical regions, they the fat it would be liquid because of the the melting point of the oil. The more saturated, the higher the melting point. Yeah. So, um, and then you have like avocados, which have a lot of monounsaturated fatty acids. That means there's only one double bond in the fatty acid chain. It's a chain of carbon molecules. Um, Whereas poly means there's at least two double bonds in that chain. And when you say omega-3, it's the third bond. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just referring to the place in the molecule where the double bond is. So um, so there's this mixture. And then in uh, plants, it's mostly polyunsaturated fatty acids, um, but there's probably a little bit of monounsaturated fatty acids, um, and maybe maybe some a, a bit of saturated. So it's, it's a, each um, plant or animal has a, di- a very different profile for each one. So it's not as homogenous, I think, as it might seem at first. So, and then, yeah. So what was your
0: question again? <laughs> I, I think you answered it, which the question was um, basically, is there a rule we can fall back on? Like all animal fats are this and all plant fats are this. And the answer is no, we, no, we can't know. That based on that. But what I am hearing is that if you're getting a good balance of whole foods, you're going to get your, a good balance of the, let me see if I get all this polyunsaturated monounsaturated and saturated fats and included in all of those are the omega threes and the omega sixes and from your previous commentary if we are able to avoid the industrially processed seed oils we won't be getting those huge high ratios of the omega six fats yeah that that It's the ratio that becomes harmful to us. It's not the fat in and of itself. That's harmful. No. Yes. To seed oils. Harmful. (laughs) Omega six is not in and of itself harmful to us. It's because we have it so disproportionately high in our modern diet. Do I get that right? Yeah. Okay. It's, it, it helps to, to talk this through. I mean, you know, I've been studying nutrition and studying these concepts for so long now. uh, And, I, I, even for years, I find myself tripping up over the omega three, omega six conversation because mm-hmm. it's hard. It's a hard conversation. Yeah. So talking it through and, and, and bouncing it back and forth is helpful. It's very helpful. Uh, so yeah. my, my next question though was, and I think we've just answered it in that discussion, which was like, let's say, let's say somebody is an ethical vegetarian. So they don't want to eat animal, animal meat. Then I was wondering, are they going to get enough of these omega-3s? And and basically what I'm understanding from you now is yes, as long as there's an enough variety of whole foods, healthy fats and not disproportionate seed oil consumption. Is that correct? Um, with the
1: omega-3s, there is like a vegetarian source, like um, what's it called, ALA, that we have to convert into the, um, the omega 3 fatty acids we need, which are EPA and DHA. Uh, so it kind of depends on that conversion rate.
0: Well, let, let me get, let me be a little bit clearer because I'm a little confused right now. So if I'm a vegetarian, but I still eat eggs and dairy. Oh,
1: um, I mean, I don't know what the, how much is in eggs and dairy specifically. Okay. Know. Like what is the best like vegetarian source for omega-3 fatty acids, specifically DHA and EPA? I I, I don't know what it is. I'm okay. Not, I'm not vegetarian.
0: Yeah, <laughs> neither am I, but I know so. that there are, <laughs> I know that there are ethical vegetarians. And I do know some who struggle with having a, a balance of, mm-hmm. of omega-3s. Yeah, And so, so what I'm hearing is that it's a lot harder if you're not eating regular, um, not just animal fats, because we have cream, butter, eggs, yeah. cheese, but if you're, if you're not getting the animal fat that comes with the meat, yeah. it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder to get to that ratio. Yeah. And, and that makes sense, right?
1: Of course, there's supplements, but I mean, if we're talking about food.
0: Yeah. Now, one thing that just occurred to me, and I have no idea. What about um, fungus and algae? Are they any decent sources of any of these or they just don't have enough fat in them? They, may, they
1: do make vegetarian supplements from algae. For omega-3s?
0: Yeah, I think so. Okay. okay, well, that's fascinating. So that means that algae has, I mean, omega-3s are fat. Yes right? It is, comes from a fat because we're talking about where that bond is. Yeah. So that means algae has fat in it. Or it makes it. Or it makes it. Okay. Okay. Interesting.
1: Um, I don't know exactly the process for making those supplements. It's not that people are eating algae. It's that they're eating a, taking a supplement derived from algae. Yes. And I don't know what that is.
0: Okay. One other thing I'd like you to comment on is, um, I'll give context real quick. Mm-hmm. So, we are recording this on June 23rd and 2022. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of news right now about supply chain issues and challenges mm-hmm. to supply chain issues. And uh, I've also seen some headlines, it's not the majority, but some headlines about the uh, supply chain issues around seed oils. Oh. And so even though you and I pretty much agree that seed oils are not a good option for human health or planetary health, Mm -hmm. um, what can you speak to like, what might be, what would, what would a a typical American see in their daily life as a consequence to supply chain issues of commodified industrial seed oils? Like, are we not going to have um potato chips on the shelves anymore or what what's like the bigger picture of a shortage of these
1: i don't know i mean like all packaged foods are made with them so um ev ev everything
0: I, i i don't know so if they become let's just imagine for a second if a certain seed oil becomes unavailable due to supply chain or due to that product, Um, whatever challenge, whatever vulnerability in the food system gets hit, we would expect higher prices on those packaged items or not as widely available. Right?
1: Yeah. What's interrupt, you don't know what's interrupting the supply?
0: I mean, because it could be anything. It could be that the uh, and gas, yeah, yeah, literally anything, right? Or the growth, um, the planting didn't occur when it needed to because I mean, mm-hmm. there's war in different parts of the world right now. So, if planting doesn't occur, or if harvest doesn't occur, or drought, or fires, or whatever, it there's so many vulnerabilities right now, and, and the vulnerabilities are always worse on these huge scales, massive scales, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So what are the takeaways, two or three takeaways?
1: Hmm. Look at ingredients, just becoming, I think just becoming aware of something makes a big difference. All of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere. Um, so just start, I think one is just start paying attention and becoming aware of how much seed oils you're already consuming. Yeah. Just to consider that, look out for that. And then finding ways to make more food yourself, make your own salad dressing instead. Cause that's one that's really tough. There's, there's like one or two, I think salad dressings on the market that don't use the seed oils. Um, but it's so easy to make your own dressing. I know you, you do. So easy. Yeah.
0: I'll share my recipe real quick. Yeah. <laughs> I do, um, I just get any, any jar or any salad dressing container. And I do like a tablespoon of Dijon mustard and the mustard acts as a little bit of an emulsifier. So it helps to hold together the oil and the vinegar. So it doesn't separate. And then I do um, either balsamic or red wine vinegar or a combination, but you can use any vinegar or lemon juice you want. You just need the acidity. And I do like three tablespoons of that. And then what do I do? Maybe, I mean, I just pour until I'm done, yeah, but then I just it. use olive oil. So is that a good replacement? Like in salad dressing, I think olive oil is a good replacement, but we talked about, we still, the oil still might have this or that of the two omegas or this and that, the poly or mono. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be, there's going to be pupas in olive oil too,
1: but often olive oil is cold pressed. So it yes. didn't go through a high heat process. It did not use any harsh chemical um, solvents. Um, yeah, and so they, they don't go undergo that kind of damage.
0: Yeah. So olive oil is a good replacement. And then for cooking, what would be a good replacement for cooking?
1: Um, I like to use butter,
0: yes. tallow,
1: <laughs> duck fat.
0: What is tallow? Oh from beef, beef fat. That's hard to find in a lot of places.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't have any right now. Um,
0: Yeah, another thing I like to do is anytime I cook pork, I just, I save the fat. Yeah, yeah. Or bacon or any pork fat. I save that and I reuse that, but butter is one of our favorites. Yeah. And then of course coconut oil is really popular for cooking. Yeah, yeah. And I do use lard. I use a lot of lard for high heat stuff.
1: Oh, great. That's the thing. Like saturated fats are more stable yeah. and less prone to breaking down from heat.
0: right. so i think I think also, I will add a couple of takeaways, which are mm-hmm. you know, lard is incredibly wonderful, and most well, i'm I'm just gonna say everywhere in the u s, it is widely available locally. So you can find a local farm that has it. so, yeah. okay. I mean, I know that another pressure point for many Americans is price of a mm-hmm. product, yeah. and so it can be really tempting to just go and reach for the bottle of soy oil or corn oil because you can—it's cheaper, but but it's not in the necessarily cheaper in the long run. And I think we've got to be aware of that. Like you said, look at the labels, look at the look at what where what's in it. Be aware. And then as people become aware, it, it becomes, it will become more attractive to for those who can to put more of their budget into the healthier fats. hmm Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One thing about lard is if the pig is fed a bunch of corn and soy, its fat will actually have a lot more um pufas in it because monogastric animals like pigs and us, don't have the capacity to convert it into saturated fats. Whereas like ruminants eat grass and turn it into a saturated fat. They're like little miracles.
0: They are. (laughs) Yeah, that's assuming the ruminants, which are cows, goats, deer, lamb. Yeah, Yeah, that's assuming they're not fed corn and soy in a feedlot. So we still want grass-fed, pastured, yeah but
1: they can convert things whereas like pigs they whatever you feed them that's what their fat will be made of
0: okay that's really interesting so so a so a pig fed the soy and corn grain will be higher I think
1: I don't have exact numbers but like it's worse with a pig what but what because a cow the lard is still saturated, but it just has no, of- it's not, it's it's polyuns. no, if you looked at lard from like a pastured pig compared mm-hmm. to one fed corn and soy, it would be very different looking. One would be really? a lot more solid, the other one would have less saturated fat.
0: That's very interesting. I, I never Sorry. knew that. It's just that- something, yeah, just something
1: I read. It, not nothing i've done a huge
0: deep dive into so i think i've I've been very fortunate that most of the pork and yeah. lard i deal with is pastured right i did not know that if they're fed that they'll be their even their lard will be different less saturated yeah that's yeah. that's very interesting all right i think we've got good takeaways know your know your ingredients and observe and be aware of what you're eating. Yeah. I like it. (laughs) So our, our, our closing then is eat for health, know your neighbor and grow some food. (laughs) Kimber, thanks so much for joining us again. You're welcome. It was a pleasure.